Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Waters Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Myers, and today is the day uh, I've been waiting for for a little while, and I am beyond excited to have this conversation with you guys and the listeners kind of tune in for this conversation. Uh, For a while now, I've been trying to find an individual 
who has a ton of experience catching stripers, especially in the summertime and on big artificials. And we have found him today. We've got Captain Bryce Roberts on the podcast from Tennessee River Monsters up in Tennessee. And we're going to talk all things striper fishing for summertime and using big artificials, big swim baits to catch big fish. So, Bryce, appreciate you joining me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm man. excited. I'm excited about all this. Absolutely, dude. This is uh again, this is something I've I've truly been trying to find somebody like this for probably about a year or so now. Uh, and, and it's kind of interesting. Like I think I might have told you I, I had found one dude. He he wasn't a he's not a guide, um, but just an individual that would fish the Chattahoochee River and throw big swim baits and had pretty good success. Uh, but I'm excited to talk to someone like yourself who does this for a professional living and putting clients on you know big fish using big artificial. And, uh, you know, seems like every time you try and take clients out, you're trying to get them their new PB. So uh, I'm really excited to kind of have the conversation and dive into it. But to kind of kick us off, Bryce, can you give me a little bit of a background? You know, how long have you been targeting stripers? And has it always been in the state of Tennessee, or did you ever start somewhere else and then kind of transition into Tennessee? Yeah, so um, we started – I started out um, probably when I was – I think I was 14 – and I'm, and I'm, I'm 30 now, but, um, I haven't been doing it as long as a lot of these older guys, but, um, I used to fish trout waters up at my house. I lived on the upper end of the Clinch river, uh, below North dam. And my brother who got started doing this sort of told me, he's like, man, do you ever seen any big stripers? Cause he was starting to get into it. Cause he fished Norris Lake and he wanted to, and everybody told him that the upper end of the Clinch river had the bigger ones. And, um, so he told me, he's like, man, go out and trout, because I trout fished a lot. He said, see if you see any of them strippers. So I got, I went out trout fishing, and one day I seen one come after my bait, and I called him. I said, hey, they're up here. And so he kind of uh, told me, he said, let's get some trout, go down there and start fishing. And that's how I kind of got my start, was up in the upper end of the Clinch River um, doing that. But 15 years ain't a lot of experience to me. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm, I tell everybody I learn every day as I go, but um, I've been doing it for 15, and uh, I hope to continue to do it the rest of my life. But I said, you know, in the guide business, you know, it's all based off the economy. It don't matter how many big fish you catch. It just, you know, if the economy is good and people's willing to travel and pay for it, and I think fishing's always going to be there, but, you know, uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, I'm interested in talking a little bit more about this fishing style. Um Talk to us about the typical waters that you fish, uh, because you know we've talked about we've talked about stripers on the podcast before. Uh, most of the time, when we've talked about stripers in the past, has been on big reservoirs and kind of fishing for them like lower down in the reservoir, not necessarily at the at the the headwaters or even the tailwaters. It's kind of in the middle of the reservoir, um, which is a very different style of fishing, I, I believe, compared to what you're typically doing. So typically, what is kind of the, the the water situation that you're dealing with when you're targeting these fish in Tennessee? So down here in Tennessee where I fish, and I fish eastern, um, <clears throat> there's like 12 different bodies of water, and they're all basically high, highland reservoirs that's been dammed up, and um, they're they're not big lakes. I mean, North Lake's the feeder from TVA that below where I fish, and um, basically they're all just river. They're lakes, but they're river systems, you know, the Tennessee River. And um, from certain time of year i said i mainly try to stay in that mid to upper end year round i said uh it's and it's a lot of it's current based um we're all always relying off the dams uh for generation um generations like the key to these fish if we get high waters in the winter time 
and that means we're going to have a lot of flow typically in the springtime which is great to bring the fish up in the tailwater and um not not every fish goes up toward the dam but that's what they tend to do is soon as you have a uh, big rain in like march it ignites them and if you have a warm march it really ignites them and i said it gets in fish coming up the river systems um pretty good around here i said these these rivers are just real temperamental on certain certain times of the year but um, your spring your summer and your fall are all based up in the river so that's that's what i tell everybody i said um if you're coming with me i said your best times to come is from march all the way up till typically october i said and i'm up in the river system that time you know we always have them community fish that stay up in the river or stay down in the lake but typically um, our higher percentage of fish come up in the river um, typically in March, and they stay up there. Got you. Okay, perfect. Now, also, I want you to talk to me kind of early on this podcast about your fishing style because this is something that, you know, compared to some other uh, either guys I've spoken to, and I've spoken to a few uh, that haven't necessarily been on the podcast, but I've talked to them about uh, kind of a little bit of their fishing style, and it seems like you're doing things quite a bit different from some of the other guys that I've talked to as in how you're actually targeting these species. Um, you know, traditionally, it seems like, especially in the southeast, you know, a lot of these, uh, a lot of people that are targeting big stripers. A lot of times, they're using some kind of big live, um, you know, baits of some sort, um, or they're trolling some kind of whether using planer boards and or um, you know some kind of umbrella rig system, like kind of especially like in the winter and fall time. What is your style of fishing? And, uh, and kind of how does that kind of tra- change as we go throughout the whole summer period? Yep. So I'm a big bait guy. I said, um, 10 inches is a, is a, is the minimum I try to stay at. And I said, I get a lot of heck from it from other guides. I said, there's times of the year that small baits do work. I'm not, you know, saying that's a lot, but I said, I'm after a big fish all the time. So like, we use our my main bait fish that I tend to use is either a skipjack heron or a trout, and I said it's mainly skipjack more than trout, just due to the fact that sometimes I think uh, skipjack are more um, accessible rather than trout because I said trout kind of takes you got unless you buy them at a trout farm, which there's not really one close uh, where I live. But I said if I did, I'd rather catch it, and I said I'd rather use it like a brown trout rather than a rainbow. And a lot of people think uh, the trout guys hate me, but I said that's the honest to god truth. I said. The big fish down here tend to hit the live uh, brown trout better than they do a, a rainbow. And uh, my my style of fishing is kind of different. I said we tend to balloon baits. You know, planer boards are perfect. Every, I said everybody's got their little niche. I said I like to use planer boards sometimes to find fish. But I said the problem with planer boards is you tend to go past the fish and you don't stay on them. Yeah, if you have current, you can kind of spot lock. Um, this year I caught a 50 and a half, uh, pounder, um, up in some tailwaters, spot locking and pushing a planer board right in some cover where some big fish were pinched in at in a big eddy. But I said, a lot of times I try to get a balloon in that area. That way that fish can be natural instead of just stagnant sitting somewhere. And I said, I think sometimes fish look at it and it's like, I've never seen a fish stay up on the top of the water like that in the same points. And there's something kind of dragging in front of it. And well, I just don't want to jump on nobody's toes to say that's the wrong thing to do because it's not sometimes. But um, typically I take a balloon 
I'll stretch it down to whatever depth I'm fishing. I don't want that bait on the bottom, but I want them in about three quarters of the water column. Like if I'm fishing 10 foot, I'll put them at six or seven. Um, and I'm basically just letting that skipjack work in the banks if I got current. And he's getting into that cover, and I kind of drag him back out. And then also another way is I've been using big glide baits, big wake baits, um, out big Alabama rig seven inch swim baits on the back of them. But the glide bait has been the key to our river systems. And um, and another thing is using your electronics that we've got these days. I said the Garmin Live Scope is a game changer. I said I fish strictly off of that these days today i had a trip seen the balloon uh i was watching the balloon i said man you gotta fish after he said it ain't doing nothing i said he's about to eat it and he said i said pull it away real quick real real fast and stop it he reeled it away was in 25 foot the bait was sitting at 16 bait came up to 12 foot and kind of sit there and kind of like acted like it was going to die fish came up and inhaled it and i said he ate it and he said the balloon didn't do nothing i said i'm telling he's got it he's gone with it and all of a sudden balloon just shot under and it was uh, it's pretty interesting. Them guys couldn't believe. It. He's like, man, that's the craziest thing ever. I said, I said, I can tell if there's fish here. You know, it's it's my way of having insurance that there's fish around. I said, just you know, some days they just don't bite. But um, having that insurance, uh, even with glide baits, um, I can throw throw up in a tree and watch my retrieval, even though I can see visually my bait because our water tends to be super clear here in east tennessee since it's coming from these dam reservoirs and the lakes are clear um you can see so much but i can't see what's happening six foot under and um that's another big thing key is my success right now is um, throwing them big glide baits a 10 12 inch bait even a 14 um inch glide bait sometimes i got like these uh they're multi-jointed and i just burn and stop them trying to trigger a bite and uh that's been really the what all I do now. Awesome. So there's a couple of different things I want to talk about there because you've mentioned a few different styles, but we are going to really dive in uh, super deep on the discussion of the glide baits because uh, I'm just super interested about that. Um, but before, mm-hmm. well, one fishing style we haven't talked about, we've talked about planer boards in the past, uh, not even with the striper guys, but actually is with, uh, I think, uh, Josh Brown from, um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a catfish guide up on the Tennessee River on Lake Gunnersville area and uh, use planer boards, and he, he really went into a ton of detail of how to use planer boards and how he uses it to cover a ton of water to catch these huge blue cats. But yeah. with balloons, can you talk about, for listeners who maybe have not heard of, you know, using balloons or, or, or even know what a balloon is and how you fish with it, can you just talk about, like, what is that setup typically like, and, again, what is the application for a balloon? Yeah, um, so I'm using it, like, so basically go to Dollar General, and buy you a set of balloons and um what i'm using that application for is you got a lot of fish in the area but i said they're kind of temperamental toward having that bait in line up high in the column so i'll i'll blow that thing up um baseball size if the smaller the better i see guys put them as big as a uh, a volleyball and i'm like you're crazy because uh you you don't want it too buoyant to where if that fish grabs it he can't take it down I said, and then he feels the resistance, kind of drops it. But so what I'll do is I'll have a, let's say I have a 15-foot leader. Um, I'm tipping that off with fluorocarbon, tie my balloon directly onto my line up top. That way it can slide. I don't want to make it cinch down so tight that it can't move because I want it to cinch down. I mean, I don't want it to cinch down. I want it to be able to slide freely up and down. Now, it'll be stationary because the bait fish can't pull hard enough. But um, 
I'll take that around a bunch of fish up in the shallows or like, especially like summertime it's perfect. It's like the best way to fish for us. I said, if I know there's a pile of fish somewhere that's kind of sitting there roaming around in the middle or close to a bank or something, I can kind of guide that bait in that direction and it kind of stays in the vicinity and it kind of lets that uh, cat and mouse game happen. Because stroppers, I don't think they, I think they like the, the chase more than they do anything and people it's like when you work um for bass fishing or something you're working a bait a jerk bait and they kind of you keep on jerking it and you're watching it and the fish goes at it again and then he stops once you stop you know it's like a cat and mouse game um but i said i'm hooking that bait right behind the back of the head you can do it with gizzard shad you can do it with trout um trout you can do in the nose too um but the skipjack hook it right behind the head and just send it out. And I said, you're feeding that bait line. I never engage my reel and keep that bait stationary because I want them looking as natural as possible. And that balloon lets me do that. Because I said, there's very little resistance um, when that balloon's on the surface. And I said, you can, and plus it's like bobber fishing. Like for bluegill or panfish, whatever, you know, uh, you're just watching that balloon and you and you can notice when there's activity on that fish, on that bait, because when the balloon speeds up, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll pan that that garment over there, and I'll look, and if I see something at it, then obviously I know. Um, and I said that balloon just gives, gives my clients and me an indicator of, hey, here's what he's doing. He, he's, he's either dead, he's moving great, he's swimming good, um, there's a fish coming up at him. And I think, too, that balloon's such a small little deal um, that when a fish comes up to strike up on top in the shallows, it's not really bothering it. As much as like a, I think a planer board just so stiff and hard um, that it can't, it kind of restricts its action of the fish. So I think it's just a little different way of doing it. You know, I get, I showed a lot of guys that, and they they took it to down in Georgia or Alabama or North Carolina, and they've used it in their lakes because they don't have the tailwaters like we got, and um, they ain't really current based, but they're dragging them or they'll drag planer boards all morning. Then they find the fish, and then they put them balloons out and set around them fish that's hanging around them points and, uh, you know, creek channels and stuff like that, and they're doing really well with them. Now, see, I've got so many questions. We're, we're going to get to the talking about the big glide baits because that's really what I want to get to. But before we do that, how are you – If say if you're in a, a situation like you were talking about, I guess it was today where y'all were in, you know, 25 feet of water and you had that bait sitting at about 16 Clearly, you're mm-hmm. not casting that out there. So, how are you presenting that bait to get it down and, and away from the boat where the fish are actually at? So, the, the skipjack heron will actually just swim on itself. And they're a, a hard, they're a herring. Um, and they're just a hard swimmer as it is. And their natural instincts to go straight down when they put them on that balloon because they're trying to get away. But the skipjack's probably the smartest bait fish i've ever seen it'll actually once it knows there's a fish close to him his getaway is come straight to the top because if he's if he's striper fish you kind of know that stripers are low light feeders so bright sunny days blue skies the first thing he'll do is he'll come up now if that fish is super aggressive he'll come up and blow it out of the water he don't care um but i said that balloon i just it's it's kind of funny you know balloon fishing has been going on for probably 50 60 years even you know it started probably in the salt water then guys said well cheap bobber you know for big baits or stuff like that shark fishing um i don't know what other kind of fishing they do with it but i've seen it all the time um used there and and there was a couple people back in the uh probably mid 2000s i'd seen use it here 
And I was like, well, I said, it makes sense. It's just an easy, it's a cheap bobber instead of having a planter board or a big cork or something like that. You just use a balloon. But um, it's just a, it's a total different way of fishing. And it's kind of, um, it's just odd. But I said, basically, I'm let, even on with trout or gizzard shad, the gizzards don't pull it that balloon is hard now we got big gizzards up here like sometimes we'll get 12 to 16 inches and i know it's kind of mind-boggling that we got big ones like that but we do on the river systems i fish and i said they'll they'll take the balloon under and that's what's kind of confusing is you just got to know what the difference is between a bite and that natural bait style trying to dig to get away from a a fish because they're just trying to get out of it they're like oh something's not right we got a hook in our back and uh, they think they're free because they're swimming everywhere, but sometimes it actually benefits. Like, they'll dig so hard trying to get off that balloon and that hook that they just get ate that way. And um, But that's – it's just kind of complicated to explain it without seeing it. Yeah. But um, it's it's super awesome. Like, it's – and it's fun because it's more of a visual, and you and you got that rod in hand. It's a hands-on experience the whole time. Um, you're not just putting it in a rod holder and saying, well, let's see what happens. And I said a lot of people make the mistake with me – is I always explain to my clients, I said, listen, you're going to hold this rod all day. And we'll be moving up up on the back deck, front deck, side to side, under and over each other all day. These skipjacks have a mind on their own. But I said, um, it really plays a big role um, when you've got that rod in hand because you can feel what's going on. You can feel that bike because sometimes I'm using braid, but a lot of times I use mono just because clients don't understand um, a, a firm hook set rather than a build dance break your rod hook set. So I had to have some stretch for that application, but it's it's a it's a fun way to fish, especially if you like seeing the chase go on and the explosions and the and the, when the balloon goes down, it's like Jaws, man. I said, and that gets my heart pounding every single time. That's awesome. So also to clarify a little bit more, um, you know, you're typically it seems like you're using the balloon in some current. Are you typically trying to put that boat? up river and maybe just off to the left or right hand side of that 45 degree angle of where you think those fish are at and you're kind of letting that bait kind of go back down with the current and kind of ease its way over where you think the fish are at so it all depends on the depth i'm fishing and where i'm fishing at sometimes i'll just drift with it and a lot of times the natural instinct to my bait fish of skipjack is to go right toward the bank but if they know there's a bunch of fish in there i'm telling you it's like uh, pulling a pulling teeth to get them to go over but i said once they go over it's it's done but i try to stay typically above them if i can but sometimes them skipjack tend to get away from you and once you put tension on them when they're down river my boat's up river in the current they tend to come up and i tell everybody when your bait comes up and he stays up that's not good i said you want that fish down in the zone at all times so i said you just gotta keep on feeding line but eventually especially like heavy current you don't want to spot lock you want to drift with it and it kind of stinks, but unless you have a big eddy that you can feed that bait into, um, you just want to naturally drift with the bait. I said, you're covering more water. You're, it's like planter board fishing, but you only got one bait out, and you're targeting structure more oriented rather than just covering a lot of water. Um, you know, planter boards kind of stay in line with it, but my baits are going in and out, covering, you know, maybe 50 foot of the bank rather than just put right on the tree line. Got you. Super fascinating. Now, um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I almost think we could do a whole episode on that, but uh, I'm going to hold off on a few other questions uh, just when it comes to the balloon and that kind of presentation. But kind of getting into, you know, this point of the season, you, you kind of mentioned to me this – you mentioned this to me a little bit earlier, even before we started recording, but, you know, it seems like this time of the year, kind of throughout the summer all the way through September is when 
uh, you like to throw those big glide baits. Um, when did you kind of find out about the glide baits? And can you also, while you're talking about, like, when do you start using them? When did you find out about them? What has been the success um, like you've had with the glide baits? So I found out about glide bait fishing um, probably in 2012. I musky fished a lot. And I noticed all the time that stripers would come at them. And, and, and they're not really they're not really glide baits. They're kind of stick baits that glide um, when I was using musky fishing down here. And I noticed them stripers would always chase them, but they never eat them. So I go on the internet, as we all do, and I look up uh, glide bait. And first thing that pops up is a guy named Butch Jones, um, no, Butch Brown in California. He caught the world record bag of largemouth on a depth 250, and it was 65 pounds and five fish. And I was like, dude, I said that, and, and, and it was all trout patterns. And I was like, man, I said, I got to try this. I got to get one. So I get on Facebook, and they have these little groups. These one called Swim Bait Universe. I get on there, there's like 20,000 people, and I'm like, where the heck have I been my whole life? And I get on there, and I'm just, I kind of read and watch what everybody's talking about and seeing pictures and um, having my guide service. I talked to a few guys from California like would always tell me, like, dude, they'd kill swim baits. And I wasn't really knowledgeable on what they was talking about. But it was um, typically they were saying big glides and, like, big soft plastics. And um, so it kind of got my mind going, and... So I went to this tackle shop down the road, and they had red fins. And I don't know if they're made by Cotton Cordell, and they're not really a swim bait or glide bait. just like a stick bait. It's a wake bait, and uh, or you can burn it and get it down a little bit. So I took a couple of them down to the river, and I would notice I was, ca- I was catching fish off of, like 20, 25-pounders. And I was like, man, I said, and I would catch some days more off of the artificial than the live bait. But I will tell you this. Um, kind of getting off subject the time of the year to throw the god baits and the swim baits of all this is always from late may all the way till september and the reason for that is the water temperatures in east tennessee typically don't get hot enough um they're well i'm trying to think how to explain this but they're not like 90 degrees and so the stripers don't have to go deep obviously in the river system because they're all cold water cold water reservoirs and um typically when that temperature would hit 60 then fish started getting really active so i said the more active the fish were the more aggressive they'd be so that's why i picked up uh, some glide baits and swim baits to get see if i could draw fish out um because as you know the colder it is the the slower their um trying to think the word i'm looking for their metabolism Mm -hmm. is and so that's why i just like tried it out and i noticed it worked a lot so move on a little bit I purchased my first glide bait, and it's a depth 250, and it cost me $300. I said, I hope I don't never lose it. And um, I go, I think it's the second trip I had with it. I was fishing the lake in, um, I think it was September. Um, the fish, the, the water had got so cold because they dumped a bunch of cold water from North Lake, and I was kind of like the lower end of the tailwater. And I pick it up, I'm like, I'm going to throw a stupid thing. First cast, I had like a 40 come out on it. And I'm so excited, but I'm not really for sure how I need to work it. I'm just burning it. Just reeling it real fast. And I said, just kicking back and forth, back and forth. And uh, I was like, dude, this is a game changer. And then I started watching videos on kind of how to present it. 
And I was like, oh, this is the deal. And I figured it out and started catching a bunch of mid-30s, low 40s. Never caught no 50s yet on it, but I've caught a lot of 40s, 30s, and 20s, and a lot of teens. Um, because a couple of the reservoirs I fish don't have as big as fish as other lakes. Um, the trophy lakes like Melton Hill, um, Loudon, uh, some other place, Chickamauga, they got the bigger fish. And I said, that's a good little place to throw them if you're looking for a big fish. But I said, it does get more, and plus you're covering a lot more water with these glide baits because you're not just pulling a bait down there. You're making multiple casts, changing your retrieves. And I think it has a lot of drawing power to them. So that's kind of how it got started. Um, we'll go from there. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exciting. So, uh, again, there's a, there's a ton of questions with talking about the glide baits. Can you talk to me and maybe explain for listeners that maybe don't understand what a glide bait is or even a wake bait? Um, can you explain like the, the, like how they're, not, not like material wise how they're built but like what the action's like and again this is these are hard sided these these are hard quote unquote swim baits or glide baits or wake baits um can you talk to a little bit about you know just the overall shape and size of these baits and especially it's the size specifically that you like to throw yep um so the my glide bait preference is um typically anywhere from eight to 14 inches um, that's like my preference because that's about what size baits in my area. And for glide bait, for people that don't know, it kind of makes like a, uh, back and forth. Uh, like you can make it do S's, you can make it do Z's, you can make it do all kinds of stuff, but it's a uh, glide bait typically is a, just a, it's a one joint and it's a two piece typically, and it just kicks back and forth. And, um, some are slow sinkers, some are floaters, but when you get to the floaters, you're talking more of a weight bait, um, and it just all depends on the application you're using it for. I said, typically, I like a slow sink due to the fact that I'm typically fishing anywhere from 4 to 15 foot with them. Sometimes I'll throw them in, in deeper water. But them applications for a glide bait is typically to get that drawing power anywhere from 3 to 15 foot. And I said, they're really nice on that. And then you got your wake bait, which is typically a floater. And I said, there's all kinds of them. You got multi-joints what could have five joints to it and it's making like an s and it kind of looks like a snake coming through there but you can burn and stop them um or you can make a uh top waters of course like a red fin it just kind of clacks back and forth real slow um you can use a soft swim bait with a, with no weight on it like a big paddle tail seven inch or eight inch bait and just wake it on top just burn it kind of like a buzz bait um there's all kinds these days um japan has made their name for all the swim baits that's out and they make some crazy wacky stuff um for for people that don't i mean but guys at bass fish i wouldn't use above a 12 inch that's just my opinion um guys at striper fish and what i would think you need to do is stay with that 8 to 12 14 inch bait if you're into big baits because then big baits do draw fish out um fish are curious stripers especially i said they tend to kind of see what the heck's going on or like i've never seen something like that and if you can find a bait that matches the hatch as trout guys say i said it really benefits i said um the day i caught my 50 and a half um i caught it on live bait but then i caught a 43 pounder um right before he caught that on a glide bait and he spit he had a, another tail in its throat and i didn't want to yank it out but i was kind of interested in what it was and it was a 10 inch skipjack here and, and i was throwing a 10 inch bait and it was white it's called, it was a depth 250 and uh, the bone ear color. And um, it was just, it was them, them fish when they're feeding. 
I don't care what it is. If you throw a swim bait out there that, that is reasonably um, close in size and profile, they will eat it. They gorge when they gorge, and when they're not, they're not. I said, you sometimes you'll notice throwing swim baits, especially glide baits, fish are super lazy on it. They'll sit like six foot behind it, and they'll just kind of watch it, and you're like, oh, there he is, but he's not going to eat it. Nothing you can do will make that fish eat. I don't care if you slam the rod, do whatever, uh, burn it, stop it. Typically, when they're that far behind it and they're not going to eat it, there's always that few crazy incidents that happens when you're like watching a real lazy fish and he's 10 foot behind your bait and then all of a sudden he just screams off and sucks it in because you've done something different. But um, the weight baits application, I would tell people, throw it around breaking fish or fish that's in real shallow water. Um, the glide bait, if you're seeing fish on your graph somewhere that seem inactive or they're coming up to feed on bait um, in like, on like creek, creek channels or river channel edges, stuff like that from shallow to deep water where them fish will, because them stroppers in current especially, will sit on that break line waiting on food. So I said it's a nice thing to do. You can let it sink right in it, slow glides, real slow right off the rip. Or if you think there's active fish in treetops, burn the, burn it really fast and then slow it down real wide glides, right? real soft pauses in it. And then once you get that fish active, speed it up making like it's getting away and typically that's how it, it works best for me oh that's so fascinating there, again i've got so many questions with this uh one right off the top um is comparing these uh hard swim baits to a soft swim bait and the action difference and again why you seem to lean towards more of the hard baits than like a soft plastic can you talk about a little bit maybe between the differences and your thoughts on them and maybe even the presentation one would give you over the other Yep, I think these, uh, I tend to stay toward the hard baits just do I get bit more. I know it's not, it's kind of a non-scientific question, but them soft plastics, I don't know if it's they put off a scent, but I seem not to do as good unless they're on Alabama rig. It's just, I, I, I've thrown single swim baits at, at fish sitting in places, and they don't seem interested in it. It's, it's something to do, and it might be that it don't push as much water as them hard baits do because there's no no give to the bait you if you kind of know what i mean the hard bait is a hard surface and there's no water pushing through it and that soft bait kind of squishy gives it don't push off as much vibration or move water as much and um i know down in middle tennessee a lot of guys tend to catch them off the um seven to eight inch kitex Mm -hmm. in that shallow you know i'm talking three to eight foot and down here, I've tried it a thousand times, and I can't get bit on. And I think it's too that you're putting that when you're in deeper water, you're, you're not around as many fish probably typically, and you're not putting it past a lot of fish. That shallow water, it's going by it the whole time you're reeling it. It's in that strike zone rather than that deeper, you know, eight to fifteen foot. You're kind of out of that strike zone some of the time. But um, the soft swim baits that I have seen catch some are like mag drafts. Um, some guys catch them, but I'm, I'm a big fan of, I like my bait to go down deep, kind of deep, and I don't want it to sit on top and slowly sink. Cause I said, time you start cranking it, it lifts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big reason they don't hit it as much, but that glide bait always stays in that kind of same depth as you work it, unless you're lifting your rod real high, which you would never do. It's like high sticking one and it would blow it out of the water. But, um, the glide bait's my pre- preference just because I can keep it in a certain depth and uh, it seems to have that drawing power rather than that soft plastic 
kind of just never triggers nothing for me unless it's on an A-Rig. When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configurations. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and Andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So, guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T R U L O C K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. That's that's an interesting discussion, and, and I've got some input on here, and you tell me your thoughts. It seems like a lot of the soft plastics, especially any kind of paddle tail design uh, swim baits, they don't have near, and I think it's because they are so uh, malleable, the, the plastic, mm-hmm. they don't yeah. have nearly the action of a hard-sided bait, and those hard-sided baits, it just, to me, it makes so much sense for a hard-sided bait to put off way more vibration than a soft plastic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and that's kind of my thought on it. And, and even just like the overall bait presentation, if you see a, you know, a bunch of different soft plastics and you can, there's so many videos online guys, you can go and watch, you know, uh, different, one of these baits being put through like some kind of tank and you can watch the, the, uh, the action, the hard side of baits seem to be more, maybe more versatile of like the different actions you can kind of present with it based off the retrieve um and just based off just the overall presentation compared to maybe a soft plastic and and also like you said in your area where you're targeting some fish like yeah they could be shallow they could be in five six feet of water or they could be in you know 15 to 25 feet of water potentially you know you need something that's going to get their attention extremely quickly and i think that hard side bait because of the action the vibration is probably putting off definitely seems to, to you know lead yourself or lend yourself to a lot more opportunity than uh just throwing a, even a, just a big soft plastic but again on a rig you know it's different when you have one bait versus you know seven or eight on a, on an a rig uh or six or eight and uh you know that's going to just put off a, a ton of vibration just because even though each one of those is not going to put off the vibration of a hard bait 
you get seven or eight of them on there all kicking and paddling with their tails, uh, that's going to draw some attention, no doubt. And I'm guessing, not to get too sidetracked with A-Rigs, but do you put spinners or any kind of blade or anything on a, on your A-Rigs, like in the center of your A-Rig? Yep. So um, I'll let my secret out on an A-Rig. So I, I throw the hog farmers, um, and, and I throw um, another one. I can't think of the name. It's a diamond bait company a-rig and they all have their applications but um the guy that came up with the diamond bait kind of told me he was like dude how many times you get bumped and you never catch a fish on it and i'm like a lot and i think that's due to the, plus in tennessee you're only allowed three hooks down in alabama you're allowed five mm-hmm. and so i think it has a lot to do with their hitting the dummies but i always use blades typically uh just due to the you know overcast i'm using gold blades small willow blades and then um, bright sunny days, I'm using the chrome. Um, but I always have that, for, and that's, that keeps my bait kind of lifts. When it when the blades start spinning, kind of lifts that bait a little bit. But I'm always watching my live scope, too, catch trigger nymph fish. And um, I'd run screw locks. I never put four, le- uh, four lead heads on there um, for the four on the outside and the one on the backside. But the, the little secret I will tell everybody is that middle one, which a lot of people know this, it always needs to be a different color. But I always make it a bigger bait also. But when I'm running seven-inch baits, I'll still run a seven in the middle. But the one key thing I do is I paint the lead head paint. Don't ask me why. That I guess it's just that off color, but they seem, seem to choke it. And they don't, and, and I mean, I could put, if I put three on there, which I will sometimes, they, they cream them. I uh, said so they hit them that they hit them a lot harder for some odd reason. I don't know if that, that color has anything to do with it, but it seems like pink is like that pink offset on just one of them. I don't care if you put it on the left one, the right one, the top one, the back one. They will hit that one every single time. And it's just uh, it's kind of fascinating that they do that. But a guy, a bass guy, showed me that who won a lot of money um, a long time ago when A rigs were real popular. And he's like, man. I'm telling you, he said it's a key. So we, so I'd sit and buy new jig heads, sand them down, get the paint off of them, powder coat them in pink, every one of them, and it was like a game changer. Or I'll dip the, you know, a lot of times I'll dip that tail too, just in a little bit of chartreuse. I don't want the whole tail chartreuse, but just a little bit, just to offset that color because I use a lot of natural colors. Um, and then that middle one will be that funky color with a pink head and a chartreuse tail. And I think it just throws them off sometimes. But the A rig in my, perspective it works really good in that 15 to 20 foot of water down here and i'll be in that current uh, in the tailwaters and i'll watch i'll see them fish kind of cut lunge out when i see them peek out that's when i know i got them because i said i'll let that i'll push the button in and let it fall all the way to the bottom and it's kind of drifting slow depending on the current and i'll just barely wind it and when i see them starting to come toward it i, sp- I kind of bump my rod up real hard just to see what they do and when i bump that rod like kind of twitch it up like a jerk bait they normally come up and they'll, they'll get really close to it or they'll, or they'll eat it and i said um it just depends on how you work them too to get bit off them but like you said um and it all has to do with the paddle tail swim bait you're running too i said there's so many options out there um certain ones i think the kytex are my preferable ones due to the fact they come with squid scent on them and i think since nine times out of ten the key interesting very interesting yeah the whole the whole pink uh powder coat jig head i think is kind of fascinating too and again having that one off color kind of in the center of that uh in the center of that uh, a rig um but 
be, not to get too sidetracked with Arius. Again, I'm almost thinking like we'd do about two or three episodes with you talk about these, some of these different <laughs> uh, presentations. But kind of getting back to the, the glide baits and, and these hard sided swim baits, um, we, we've got because I want I want to get to the point of talking about boat presentation, bait presentation, how and where and how you like to throw those baits. But before we get into that, uh, which again I think is like a really valuable part of this episode for a lot of listeners. Before we do that, I want to talk to you. What kind of rod reel line setup do you like to have to throw these big first off expensive but big heavy swim baits and glide baits yeah that's a great question um so i have a deal with akuma um i've been with them for like the past six or eight years and i tend to use their they got a swim bait rod they got two different swim bait rods they got a 711 it's called a sbx swim bait rod full it's a full handle got like a carbon grip on it which is super nice and they come in all kinds of sizes you got your heavy which is like a two to six ounces or two to eight you got your extra heavy which is more like your four to twelve then you got your extra extra heavy which is like four to sixteen or four to twenty and um depending on what i'm throwing uh i'll throw more expensive baits i don't kind of mess around i'm either 65 or 80 pound braid um i'm using gamma braid on that it's not a super popular braid that you hear about but i think it's the best on the market and um it's kind of like a it, it's pretty expensive and you know everybody's got their preference and i tell everybody use what you want that's what i use and that's what i'm comfortable with and i've been with gamma for a few years and um uh, the re and i'm not about doing whatever somebody wants to do you know if somebody wants to give me free line i'll try it out but i said i use what works for me and i said and that's been the best line i've used and then um you know, I got a guide select swim bait rod, which Akuma also makes. It's a 7-Eleven, same application of line size and bait sizes, and it's a split grip. Um, but I run all extra heavies. Um, if I'm throwing them real big baits, I will run a uh, maybe a musky rod, like an like a 8-6 extra, extra heavy. That way I can get that longer cast with it, and it's, and it's a lot less effort. Um, I'm running their 371 Komodo SS. Um, it's got 20, it's got 25 pounds of drag on them and they're super small and, uh, they cash really well. And if I'm throwing like a real big bait, I might use their 471 size. Um, and they're super nice too. And they're a little slower retrieve cause I'm the high speeds mainly. Um, but it just depends on what application I'm doing. I might have a lower gear ratio just to slow myself down because sometimes I think we get caught up in. It's like rattle trapping. You just chunk it and whine and chunk it and whine at same speed, same speed. Well, if you have a slower uh, retrieve reel, for instance, you might be able to keep that bait in the zone a lot better and you're doing a little less effort or you think you're at the same speed and it's actually slower due to the line, uh, the line retrieve on it. But um, like if I'm throwing, I like to have a soft tip if I'm throwing lighter baits because it tends to, if they get it, they get it pretty good. Um, them them big heavy glide baits i want a stiff rod that way every time i pop it my rod's not giving and that bait's working every time and i only throw braid um very few times i'll throw mono yeah i hear a lot of guys like to throw mono on it and that's perfectly cool with me i just don't like stretch because you're not getting that full work of the glide bait or your um multi-jointed bait or your wake bait it's kind of hard to work mono and pop something like that because i said it, it ain't like a top water where for instance, if you throw fluorocarbon, your your line will sink, and it ain't working to its full capability. Um, it just it just preference, but braids braids the key to mine because I said I've lost so many hundred to two hundred dollar baits 
you know, tipping it off a fluorocarbon just because I think, for one, um, some of these knots that we tie um, ain't as strong as we think they are. You know, you got the Alberta, the uh, double uni, you got the uh, FG. By far, the FG is probably the best one. It just takes a little bit to figure it out. But um, I do like to use fluorocarbon, especially if I got ultra clear water. But a lot of times, these fish don't care. I think I think they don't care. They don't care if it's um, a purple colored swim bait. If they're ready to feed, and you're working that bait properly, I don't think they care about it. So yeah, you mentioned a couple things there because I was wondering if you were going to run a fluoro uh, leader, but you're you're tying braid all the way up to the bait, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I just, um, the reason for that is we all make mistakes. Hey, the best of us do it. You try, you, you make a long cast, try to sling one because you see a fish bust too far and you backlash it and your bait, your $200 bait's sitting 500 yards away from you in a treetop. It's like, okay, I'm not it. And it could have been saved a little bit and there's a better chance of it being saved with straight braid. Yep. So I said, that's one thing. And plus, um, I don't like to use fluorocarbon on, um, like big giant hooks i'm using because i said i want to really dig that that hook into them so i like that straight bait, that braid and it's just all impact as soon as you set set the hook on them okay now also uh you you kind of mentioned this but i want to kind of dive into it a little bit deeper you know a lot of guys i know that are running straight braid it seems like especially if we're talking bass fishing and it's not just for you know flipping a jig or something like that it seems like they're they're fishing and pretty stained if not like really stained water you you kind of mentioned this but i want to kind of elaborate a little bit more on you were kind of mentioning that it doesn't really seem to matter with these stripers like they're going to hit it like they're not line shy um what is the water clarity like on the uh the reservoirs and the river systems that you fish on typically um and again just to reiterate you're, you're saying that you don't really see them being very line shy to the braid yeah um depending on where i'm at because every river is different here but um from north dam down to milton hill dam it's ultra clear i mean it's it's see 10 foot 15 foot some days and a lot of has a lot of that has to do with the zebra mussels have came back and cleared every bit of the water up on north and um but it's all depend like some days you can tip that fluorocarbon off in clear water and it don't matter and it, and they're not then they're still just following it um down below uh, Milton Hill Dam, which is Watts Bar Tailwaters, um, you start to get a little bit of stain um, within probably a mile pat below the dam. And I said, I never do it. I said, um, then you got Fort Loudon uh, Lake, which it kind of has like a Tennessee River. I call it Tennessee River stain. There's always a little bit of color in there. Yep. And of course, it don't, it don't bother them. But um, the clear applications up in like Milton Hill Tailwaters, where it's ultra clear, um, there's definitely days it does benefit. Live bait, I always have fluorocarbon up there. But glide baiting, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it don't really matter. I think if them fish are going to eat, if they're going to eat. And, um, you know, I'm sure some days that that fluorocarbon, when I don't have it on, probably would maybe get me an extra two or three bites. But I said, there's just days I'm not going to risk it with what I'm throwing. And I just hate I, I mean, if, it, if it's going to be a difference between me catching a 20-pounder, I'll pass it up any day to not lose a $300 bait. Yeah, and see, that, that's interesting. And also, I wonder if also a big factor for this is because you're throwing such large swim baits. I mean, even an 8-inch swim bait, like the smallest you're throwing, that's still a large bait. But, you know, you're, you're going all at 12 to even potentially 14 inches. That bait's so big, 
that if I had a get if a fish locks eyes on it and, and puts eyes on that bait, it's not noticing the it's not noticing the line. It'd be different if you were throwing a three or four inch swim bait, I think. Um, yeah. But with you throwing such a big swim bait, like, I think that line's the last thing on their mind when they're seeing that big bait coming right by them. Yep, I agree with you. Um, you know, it's just depending on which which bait it is and the drawing power off of it. But I think once it like you um, you said. Nine times out of ten, say I'm fishing Milton Hill upper end uh, tailwaters. Um, I'm throwing I'm throwing these baits toward the trees nine times out of ten or the bank. I'm staying way off of them. I'm way out, and I think the fish r- would get scared rather from the line, but the, to me, the boat shadow. You know, a lot of times I fish certain ways depending on where my shadow's pointing. If my shadow's toward the bank, I tend to go to the opposite bank. But some days. You know, if they're just laying on one bank and you got to, you kind of just got to fish it anyways. But I try to kind of stay way back. And that's why I'm using these longer rods for the application, just due to the fact that I can cover a lot more water. And if I get a fish on, I got that much more water between me and the fish to try to entice them to bite. And uh, it's, it's super tricky, man. Every day's a different day with them on swim baits. I said, I've never seen the same day twice, you know, depending on what I'm doing. But I said, Every day they'll throw you a curveball, man, and you're like, I've seen them. They'll come up and smack at the baits and hit and just knock it with their heads, like trying to stun it. And you're like, really? Or you'll catch them in the top of the head or in the side where they just kind of tail smack it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just craziness every day. So now we're going to get to, uh, I'm going to call the meat and potatoes of this episode, even though we talked about some awesome stuff all the way up to this point. The one thing I'm very interested in, uh, in asking you and really talking about is – boat positioning with current and bait positioning and bait presentation in these areas so i know like you said there's so many different situations there's so many different ways you fish these baits and we're talking you know where i want to talk specifically in current here which i know is what you specialize in mm-hmm. when we're talking about boat positioning first when you when you put your boat in the water and again one thing we didn't mention this podcast but you're you're not running a giant boat like a lot of these other striper guys where they're running you know 25 to 30 foot long 35 pl- a foot long center console in these big reservoirs um so you're you're running a much more nimble boat to be able to kind of work this current but with your boat set up how are you going about presenting or how, how are you focusing on boat positioning in this current and and maybe in a couple different situations whether you're trying to target eddies or you're trying to target some kind of structure like how are you wanting to present that boat and use that boat presentation in order to give you the best you know presentation for your baits and we'll talk a little bit more about bait presentation here in a moment Yep. Um, so I run a 20 foot sea arc. Uh, it's, it's not a huge boat. It's a wide boat, but it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a huge 24 foot plus boat. Um, I can get in two and three foot of water. No problem. Um, I don't have a tunnel hole. I do trim the heck out of it and I'll run it in two foot of water just because I know it will run that. Um, but boat positioning for me, there's three, there's kind of three different ways that I'll do it. So say we're talking about current, for instance, when I'm throwing swim baits, what I'll try to do is I always like to fish up a, up a river. That's always like a, that's a main deal because if you do have a little bit of flow, them fish are typically got their heads pointed up or at an angle up because they're ambush fish. And if they're on structure, if I'm fishing like down trees, for instance, with current, they'll be on the backside of it waiting for food to come out. So I kind of stay, I always point my nose up river. But I said, I kind of, if I can go up the river in the current, perfect. If it ain't too strong. But if it's pulling me down, then I'll just get parallel with the bank and I'll just cast straight 
at an angle. Sometimes, depending on if I see fish down below me, I'll bring that bait upriver, but not all the time. Um, down here, you know, since it's generation dependent, is a lot of times we don't have flow early in the mornings. So when I'm like that, I kind of tend to back off the banks unless I got big, steep banks. And I'll pull on the bank and I'll throw out in the middle because these trappers tend to roam in the middle when there's no flow. Um, or, you know, vice versa, if I'm seeing them on the live scope in the middle, that's where I'll fish them. Um, but a lot of times down here in certain rivers is you will not see them fish um, moving up and down in the river column um, when there's no current. Like they're kind of just sitting in pools and uh, they're just roaming around. So I tend to put my my boat on the bank and throw out in the middle but if i got real heavy current changing the subject heavy current then i said i'm just drifting with the thing and i'm still casting up at an angle or i'm casting down a little bit so when i bring that bait back it in lines perfect right to me and i said sometimes it's best to stay above them and throw down river and kind of just drift with it because they don't see you right off the rip and they're just seeing that bait come up the river but i said it's just all depends on what the fish mood is that day I said, but poke position is everything. And like I was talking about with the shadows and stuff, I said, I think them fish pick up on it. You know, I got a white bottom on my boat, which kind of stinks, I think, sometimes because I think it kind of stands out. But um, a lot of times them fish will kind of spook off if you get too close to the bank. I said, always put 75 to 80 yards, uh, not 80 yards, 80 feet between you. Um, because a lot of times your bites, if you got current, will come within the first probably 10 yards. Because that fish is going to just shoot out, come out and get it, and it's done. Or if it's kind of slow current, now they're drifters, and they'll drift out to you, and they'll, they'll eat it maybe 20 foot off your boat, and you're 80 foot off. I said, with that live scope, though, it kind of helps me see where I need to be because, in reality, none of us can cast 160 foot. That is, that's just a fact. I mean, I can launch some stuff, but I said, you got to put a lot of effort in it. So I said, 100 feet's doable. But I said, that's about my max. I try to stay off the bank. Got you. So, um, with boat positioning um, and and kind of like your presentation and, again, kind of casting towards the bank, what is the typical structure like, in, in, you know, in these different uh, this different part of the river system? Um, as in, you know, do you have a bunch of trees in the water, uh, like blown down is is a lot more rock structure is it is it bigger boulders is it more kind of shell like what is the kind of structure that these fish really kind of like to hold up to when they're trying to you know plane their ambush and, and kind of feeding you know up into the river yeah so down here uh probably i'd say 80 percent is laydowns. um you know due to the tva flooding area you had all them trees and they're all just blown down or deep trees stump beds um but, I, I mean, there's a lot of times where we're fishing big eddies coming from big uh, bluff walls. Um, not big bluff, but good-sized bluffs with a big eddy behind it. And I said, that's typical, the only structure. But I said, a lot of these fish tend to uh, stage up on them transition periods. Like them, um, so if you've got, let's say, a bunch, you got got 100 yards of just straight laydowns, and then it goes to sand bottom. And there's a, a rock pile sitting there. I said, it's a good place for them to be. I said, sometimes they like hanging in that wacky area. And um, depending on what bends to your fishing, outside or inside bends, you tend to get the slower current on the inside bend. You get the faster flowing water on the outside bend. And I said, them fish tend to sit on them. If you have laydowns on the outside bend, it's typically really, really good. Um, 
I think them fish just like to sit on bins because bait sort of packs in that in them little bowls and just hovers around all the structure. But down here, when there's current, the fish kind of the bait fish stay out. They're not stupid. They'll just stay out in the middle and just kind of roam the river channel. Um, as you get current, it pushes them into the into the bank. So I said that's why they're kind of hanging on the trees. But I said depending on what day it is, there's days the eddies and the bluffs are really well. And I said there's days where the laydowns are much more, just depending on I think uh, weather too dependent and how much shade is that structure creating for them fish to stay behind. Because mm. like I said, I think they're super light oriented. And so if you got a bunch of laydowns that have separation from the bottom and they're not right on the bottom, I think that's really good cover for them, just like bass, you know. And it's hard to get your bait in there, but I said what you want to do is just throw it as far as you can back to the bank and burn it out of that tree behind it, especially with current. I said um, I don't see as much stay on them them uh, laydowns with less current. They just kind of don't hang as much. They kind of just sit off the tips of the trees down on that little drop if there's a, a channel ledge or something that's what i was going to ask about channel edges um or any kind of like where you have a flat and it drops off into like you know either a secondary channel or the main channel is that ever something else that you kind of focus on is again where you can find a, a, a channel ledge or you know a flat and get on the backside of that flat where it kind of drops off you know ever how many more feet and uh, and catch them sitting just below that ledge and coming up to feed yep so this is perfect because it's, it's the time I'm doing it right now. Um, so one of our river systems right now, um, they're not running barely any generators until evening time. So all the bait, and it's warmed up so much this year because there's been no generation, no rain, that all the bait's in the main channel. And um, like you was talking about, um, there's a flat where I've been fishing in the evening times and catching these fish off these swim baits. It's around 8 foot, and it drops off into about 26 foot. And I said, in the evenings when that current pushes up every bit of the bait in the channel pushes up on top of the flat and what i'll see with live scope is them fish start running up the channel ledge on top to that flat to feed and so that's what i kind of orient myself right now with is when them fish are feeding i'm always seeing them on the break or up on top of the flat um when they're kind of stagnant not doing nothing they're just sitting down there in the deep water and i said at that moment i'm not throwing a glide bait typically i'm running a live bait yep but um you always see them off them drops them fish try to find that current break and just hide behind it that's why i think them eddies are so good you get these sharp jagged edges off these little bluffs and then it just kind of falls off into a hole and then fish are just sort of tight to that rock behind it waiting and as soon as a bait comes behind it it's over you know they're just they're just like anything else that ambushes they're going to find that current break. They don't get fat and, and stupid for no reason. Oh, man. Uh, let me ask, um, you know, with the, the the need of current, okay? And like you said, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's been very dry down here, too, in Alabama, and really a lot of the southeast. Like, there's, you know, isolated thunderstorms, but we haven't had any, like, major rain come through in a few weeks now. Um, and, you know, current is a huge part of what you're doing and a huge part of using the artificial is when you have that strong current really targeting those those uh areas where you have that structure kind of up against the bank where those fish will kind of stack up in is it something is this uh style of fishing something that you'll kind of target like say if you ha you know there's a big you know thunderstorm uh, uh, rainstorm coming through uh or front pushing through Will you typically, after that storm comes through, will you give it a day or two before you hit back on the water, or will you hit right when those gates start opening? 
Man, the, the gates, if, if they open, say they open the floodgates, them fish know that that gate opens. I don't know why, but as soon as they feel that surge of water, they're running up and um, or they're pushing close to structure if the current gets down there. But this, the first hour, whenever, like, say you see you have a big storm come through and it rained for three days, the, the day, as soon as it quits, if the water's clarity is decent enough, go out there and fish. Or if you find it, say the day of, you know they're going to generate. As soon as that happens, when they're generating, I promise you, them fish will be fired up for the first two hours, the best they'll ever be. And I said they kind of slow down because then the water's consistent. That ch- that first hour of change, to me, seems like the best application to throw swim baits or even live bait on. And I said, um, right now we got a generator down uh, at one of the areas I fish. And I said, the first day that that spillway opened because they couldn't generate, fish were just flooded up there and they haven't been up there and it's like it's like they almost knew hey this is our time let's go and all the bait pushed up there and then the next morning it was a it was a crap show you know everybody was catching two and three fish at a time they was blowing up gizzards on the walls and stuff and it just um i think that specific stuff like that when that happens is a big key to key on fish during that time Oh, dude, Look, I'm already telling you, we're going to have to have you on for another episode because I've got one topic, and you've mentioned it a few times, but I under I know it's going to be a 45-minute conversation if I bring it up, and I'm just going to hold off on it. I'll, I'll tell you after we get done recording, but uh, definitely yeah. going to have to have you back on for another topic. Um, w- one thing I, I want to ask you about, throwing these big glide baits and these big swim baits, have you ever had some bycatch, like an interesting bycatch, like catching a big largemouth or even, I don't know, I don't know if you ever caught a smallie up there or uh, oh, yeah. the catfish or anything. I mean, do you got any interesting stories of you catching some a weird weird but big bycatch when you were trying to target the stripers? Um, yeah, I'll be honest with you. So I fish um, Watts Bar, which is it's got big smallmouth in it and mean mouths, um, which a mean mouth like a high between a spot and a uh, smallmouth. But uh, – I was down there throwing this big uh, shag glide. It's called a maven, and uh, they're extremely hard to get. And a guy from California sent it to me. He said, do not lose this, but when I come back with you next year, you can give it back to me. I said, cool. And I'm throwing it in this creek mouth, and all of a sudden, I just get like a thump. And I'm like, eh, it's just kind of weird. I said, it's probably shad I'm going against. And then I felt a thump again. I was like, what the heck is it? And it's kind of dingy. And I twitch it one time, and all of a sudden, I just feel a hard smack. It's like a six-pound smallmouth. And I'm like, okay, that's the most random thing I would have. I never would have thought I caught one in that area, for instance. But um, in another instance, what happened, and this is using live scope now. There was a school of about 300 stripers went through the river channel, and this is in late May. And I was like, dude, I said, and we had a little bit of current. I was like, I got it. I said, these fish will bite. I said, people when they're in this biggest school, they won't. But I said, I got the bait for them. It was that Maven, and it's a it's a 10 and a half inch bait, and it sinks super quick. The guy waited it to sink in them rivers so it would work really good in the current and um i see this i throw over in that school and there's a straggler behind it i'm like i was like oh dude here he comes and i'm watching him on live scope and i'm in 25 foot and i let it sink down about 15 and he's shooting at it and he's really and he's he's pausing but he's stopping and i twitch it real hard and he comes really close to it and i see his tail swimming and he's like kicking real hard but he stops and i'm like dude what the heck i said i know this is a striper and he gets right underneath the boat. And I let that bait fall all the way to 25 foot. And I'm sure it looks stupid from if you could have seen it in your personal view. But I jerk that rod as almost hard as I can. And it knocks the rod out of my hand. And it's a 46-inch muskie. 
I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And it came up and jumped out of the water and my, it looked like a tarp. And I was like, dude, I said, these things are freaking nuts. And, that, and my client was watching it the whole time. He said, dude, that's the most impressive thing I've ever seen anybody do off live scope. And he said, I've watched YouTube videos. And he said, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I was like, I was like, man, but I said, if I didn't have it, I never would have caught that fish. But it was just like a freak thing. You know, there's muskies in there, but you never catch them throwing glide baits a lot of times for stroppers because i said the muskies are kind of territorial uh they don't like to hang in the same areas but that was like the two freak uh freakish things you know and a couple weeks ago i was up the dam throwing the same bait that maven and i said this time of year at that dam a lot of times when the water's off you'll see these schools of stroppers and they're like 15 to 18 fish and you can throw a glide bait and i'll charge it but a lot of times they won't hit it unless you get low light and, I, and i'm working that bait and i said 10 fish shot at it out of the same school i said no it's stroppers and I seen a flash, but I couldn't tell what it was. So I reel it, burn it back in. I throw it right back out there at like 60 foot, let it fall. And the fish start coming toward it again. I twitch it real hard and it glides super wide. I can kind of see it faint in about 10 foot of water and it's a drum. And I'm like, dude, what was he thinking? Cause you know, drum don't have the big mouse on them. I said, what was he going to do with that bait? And I got these, um, they're, uh, Kevlar, like, um, wraps like little ropes on my hooks that that guy sent me and dude the second hook gouged right in his forehead and the other hook was like in the side of his face and i was like dude it took me like 10 minutes to get it out but i was like i've never seen so many stupid fish in my life to go after something that big you dude that's fascinating but by the way how big was the swim bait you caught the uh i think you said it was the maven you caught that uh smallie on that six pound smallie it was 10 and a half almost 11 it's kind of odd because the guy didn't measure he didn't have no precise it's it's really 11 but it's like a 10 and a half so, so it's like he claimed it's 10 and a half so you caught a six pound small on a 10 and a half inch swim bait let that sink in for everybody listening uh that's yeah. that, that's crazy dude that is that is ridiculous i mean you talk about crazy bike the, the musky that was what i was hoping for i thought you were gonna have a musky story yeah. that's, that got me excited i'm like heck yeah dude uh, yeah, dude, it's, a, it's it's crazy with them glide, but you never know what you're going to get. And uh, I couldn't tell me in big smallmouth in, like, shallow rivers um, that I've I've had hit them big glide baits. And then they run right back into the thing. And the best thing to do, like I did um, a couple weeks ago in the spring, I tied on a smaller glide bait, like a 6-inch to 8-inch. And um, it's a, uh, I think, Gamecraft two, uh, 230. It's like a eight inch bait to seven and a half somewhere in that vicinity and i threw it out there and after he came after my ten and a half inch depths he smoked that little one i was like dude it's crazy there's little river fish are so aggressive and they're hitting such a big bait for such a small fish you know 17 inch fish eating a 10 inch bait almost mm-hmm. that is it, it, it is crazy i mean think about that it makes you wonder you know it's kind of like the whole uh you know uh talking bass fishing especially largemouth fishing you know guys throwing big soft plastics uh and, uh, you know, and then you get the other, you know, perspective, just talking largemouth, you know, bass fishing, like, uh, you know, go a little finesse. But it's it's amazing how many guys c- can catch big fish. And like you said, even smallies on bigger baits than most people would ever even imagine throwing. Um, but, I mean, if they're hitting and they're aggressive, well, why not, dude? Why not give them that presentation? Yeah. Um, yeah it's a sweet thing. Uh, yeah, and then uh, I was tr- – one other thing, um, and then we'll kind of get to the point of wrapping up, and i got to talk to you about a, a part two episode with you. Um, you know, we've talked about boat positioning and all that kind of aspect. What would be, like, your biggest piece of advice if a guy – and, again, like, you know, I've talked to you about a body of water I've been wanting to go to, and, 
and trying to use this uh, style of fishing, try to get up and and um, and find some of these stripers and some faster flowing uh, water. What would be like some of your biggest pieces of advice? Uh, actually, hold on before you answer that. Actually, yeah, before that's gonna be the last question I want to ask you. Before I do that, you're, you're throwing these huge, expensive swim baits. When you get one of these suckers hung, because I'm sure it happens every now and then, how do you go about retrieving those those baits? You stress the uh, when you get one snagged up in a, a tree, and you set the hook on one. I said you're like your first thought in your mind's like, oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off of a, the bridge uh, over there. But uh, a lot of times, like I, I don't never jerk after I get it in there the first time because I them big baits for some reason. Like if you don't put a lot of pressure, they don't never go deep because you got such big hooks they don't penetrate as well as like a small sharp hook. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll just get behind it, and the first thing I do is I just kind of play my braid. I kind of grab it by hand and just wiggle it. If it don't do nothing, I'll stick my rod down there and see if I can poke it. And if it's not reachable, I try to do that old trick where they take your rod off and slide it down the line, but I've made that mistake before, and I've lost a rod and a bait, and it's not worth it. Um, but nowadays, they make them them uh, kind of uh, lure retriever rods. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, they go. I got one that goes to 22 foot. And that's what I use. And I'll just go there and push on it and push on it and push on it. And typically you'll bust them loose. But I said, um, I've, you can't do nothing about it. You just, if you, when you're in this swim bait game, you're, you just got to say, Hey, I bought this lure. It was a, it was like a investment investment for me, you know, especially being a guy, it's investment. I don't let all the times my clients use my high end stuff. I let them use low end, but there's some applications you just got to say, Hey, if it breaks, it breaks. If it don't, it don't, you know. And I said, uh, especially when you get people throwing them against dams and and throwing them against rock bluffs and busting them and stuff like that, it's just kind of you got to eat it sometimes. Mm. And it just it's a, you hate it, but that's the only way to do it. Either either get it out or you don't. Got you, perfect. I, I was curious about that. Now, getting to the point of wrapping up that <laughs> final question, I want to ask you, like, what would be your final or like your your final piece of advice or your biggest piece of advice? For somebody like myself who wants to go out there and experience this, maybe on their home body of water, you know, they want to, you know, potentially start getting into, you know, throwing some big artificials, some big swim baits in order to find stripers and some current. What would be like your number one tip in order to just kind of get started and go out there and and start trying to build some experience? Because I know the thing about this, and this is a very common thing with everybody we interview is you're talking to somebody like yourself who's been doing this for 15 plus years. You know, it's hard to go out there your first time out in the water and, and try to replicate success that someone else has been having because you have to have that experience on the water. But what would be your advice to try to get somebody out there and if they want to try to experience this in their own home body water somewhere in the southeast? Um, this would be my number one thing, time on the water. I said go out there, you know, um, start small. Don't go to the top right away. Don't go out and buy these five six hundred dollar outfits because you don't need that you know i my stuff is anywhere from you know three four hundred dollars a lot of my stuff um five hundred and i said i'm kind of in that event stage but my, my the key of catching fish on swim baits is time on the water and you're going to learn stuff as you go um don't get discouraged either i said i get some guys that go out with me and we throw swim baits all day and they're not used to it and they're just wanting to get into it, and they don't see no fish. And I tell everybody, I said, you know, that's just part of this game. I said, it's it's all it's like it's like doing anything else. You gotta you if to get good at something, you gotta do it over and over and over again. And you're gonna fail a lot of times, but there's gonna be a day you'll go out there, and it's just gonna be lights out, and you're gonna have the best day, and, and it's the funnest way to catch them. 
and then you're going to be able to post pictures of swim baits gouged down their throats and you're saying dude look what i caught and then that right there you'll learn from that experience and then work your way up you know um i tell everybody if you're trying to get into swim baiting go out and you can go to bass pro or some of your local shops and just try some small jointed baits now if you're going after stripers you kind of got to start bigger um you know any of them shad imitators heron imitators um i mean there's all kinds you can buy them at bass pro even them cheap storm shat i mean that's considered swim baiting but i said you know you got to go out there and do trial and error and and see every day you go out don't just hit the same spot over and over again just cover water because eventually you'll run into them i said uh there'll be one stupid one out there that comes after you bait but just time on the water and not giving up every day is the key to it because i've been so many times and where i'm at in my career now i don't care about catching a bunch of fish it's nice don't get me wrong but i'm after the fish every time i'm out there uh, if i get one fish a day on a swim bait that's a success to me and uh there's days where you know you get nine to 18 20 fish days they're typically smaller fish but um they happen all the time but you just got to go and find that figure out where them fish are located find them on your graph if you got a good graph with side image and stuff and kind of go down and scan and see where fish are or if you already striper fish yourself just kind of if you know where, where fish are pushed at throw them swim baits at them you know throw 20 different style baits at them if you got two or throw 20 different retrieves at them and kind of figure them out because they will they will hit something they're not all the time going to be stagnant and not hit but um it's just time on the water would be my best advice to anybody on there and um don't don't get discouraged when you're fishing swim baits i said that was our last question i lied i got one other one for you um (laughs) Could you maybe talk about? I know you've again you've caught fish. You said up into the like you know forty plus range on swim baits, uh, and I know you've got clients that caught you know some of their PBs on a swim bait. What is the experience like catching that big of a fish on a swim bait? And do you have a good story uh, of one of your clients catching like you know their personal best on one of your swim baits? Yeah, I'll um, consider this year. Um, to me, it's like it, it's kind of hard to explain, but like there's all i'm always kind of competitive with myself i tell everybody anybody can catch them on uh on live bait anybody you put the time in you'll catch them on a, on a live bait and it's like i had this argument with these guys that kind of um they're they're friends but they kind of give me crap about it all the time like you got your your kind in smoked up there at the dam or, or down river of the day we was using live bait and using using artificial but it's not a competition with me and them all the time it's just competition with myself because at the stage I'm in, I've caught 61 pounder with live bait. Well, not live bait; it was cut bait. But I've said I've caught a my one of my clients caught a 58 on live bait. Um, caught tons of I've probably caught seven or eight in the 50s on live bait. But I said that ain't the challenge to me. And I said um, it's so much more rewarding throwing artificial because everything's got to set up right for me. Um, you know, I got to throw the right bait. I got to work it the right. My boat's got to be in the right position. Everything's got to work out perfect to catch that big fish off of a glide bait. Um, and sometimes you just luck into it. I mean, I fished muddy water before and got lucky and caught fish. I got a, a YouTube video from my like 2012. I'm fishing chocolate milk with a big glide bait and I, I jerked it right the boat and a 43 pounder or not 43. It's a 34 pounder comes up and smokes it at the boat side. I mean, it's just, but I mean, spending my time on the water helps with that. But, uh, everything worked out perfect but um 
I had a client this year. He was from, he's client slash associate with Akuma. He comes up and he was a big swim baiter in Arkansas. Um, but he brought his friend that didn't fish any. And he's like, he's like, man, we're gonna go up there in this river and hopefully we smash them. And we went up there and we was fishing and, uh, his buddy's getting into bait casters and he works for Akuma, but his buddy don't work for Akuma. And he's like, he's like, he's got a spinner rod. You can throw it. And I was like, dude, let him throw a bait caster backlash the whole time. I don't care. I said, I can get them out. And, uh, I give him this pretty expensive, $140, $150 plug. And I said, dude, throw up in that eddy. Cause we were spot locked. I said, throw up in that eddy and just throw it the whole time. If you want to catch one, I swim bait. And like, I think it was his third twitch at the first cast. He caught like a 23 pounder and the grin on that guy's face when we got it in the, when we got to the boat, cause I don't carry nets a lot of times, even though I throw treble baits, but I got it with my bogus and I was like, I was like, dude. And I gave him like a high five cause I was psyched for him cause it got him. He's like, dude, I got to buy some baits after this, but it was like the best experience. And to see a guy as happy as I was, um, catching that. And it was just a 23 pounder, which is a big fish. But when you're used to seeing bigger ones, it's kind of like, ah, it's a 23-pounder. But I was so excited. I was like, dude, that's the biggest, the smallest fish I've ever been so happy for off a of glide bait just because you caught that, like, on your first cast, and you worked that perfect. And uh, stuff like that, man, is what, what I got for. And um, but I said, I've had some crazy other experience. You know, we caught 64 fish one day with a dude that's never swim baited before, and we've stolen all glide baits and wake baits. Caught 64 strappers one day. That's probably one of the best cool stories I have, but um, we can save that for another time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Bryce, if uh, listeners want to either book with you, ask you some other questions, or follow along with you, um, how can they follow along with you, especially through social media, um, and even get a hold of you through social media? Yeah, we you can you can uh, reach out on uh, Facebook or just get on Google and um, type in Tennessee River Monsters, or I got a personal. Um, Facebook page also called Bryce's Striper Fishing Guide Service. Um, it's on Facebook. Um, and you just give us a call. There's, an, there's numbers up there. Just give us a call. We can set up a date when you, you want to come. If you're wanting to get into swim baiting, I'd say come anywhere from May all the way up till September and uh, maybe early October, depending on the weather we got. If you're wanting to live bait, anytime's good. I said wintertime, springtime, and fall times, you're big giants. I said, uh, summertime, you still can get big ones, but I said, we got to be in the area to get the big ones. But I said, it's, it's more number oriented and I'm not the guy to go out and catch 20 plus fish a day. So just letting everybody know that I'm a guy that catches, you know, four to 10 fish a day on a great day. And some days it's slower than that. So, uh, you can just call me at it. And I got my number on there. It's eight, six, five, two, zero, seven, eight, seven, four, one. Yeah, awesome, Bryce. Well, appreciate you joining us. I'm excited to get you on for another episode because there's a, another whole topic that we didn't even touch on that I, I really want to dive in with you on. But, uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a buddy. Um, that's the biggest way you can support the show is to share it. Uh, and now the podcast, the Southern Waters uh, Fishing Podcast, is on the Southern Outdoorsman uh, RSS feed. So, guys, if you're subscribed to the podcast, subscribe to the Southern Outdoorsman, you're going to get all these podcasts uh, on that feed. So, um, super excited about the excited to get some new listeners on the show and uh, and hearing some of these topics and uh, hope y'all enjoy this episode and we'll catch y'all back here on the next episode from the Southern Waters Fishing Podcast.
Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.